John, um, and Lynn will be here this morning guiding us, and then next week we'll have another individual, and so I'll be around, uh, but for me it's, it's important to let you hear from other people's voices, I think that's good for you, it's good for me, um, so I don't just keep saying the same thing over and over, um, and also Lynn is a faithful brother, he's got um, a deep biblical training, went to Dallas Theological Seminary, um, and is trained well in the scriptures, and has, has done this many, many times, and so even as we think about what we're doing at Parkview East, having godly leaders who can do this is just an awesome opportunity for, for people to serve in ways that they've been gifted and called. And so I'm just going to go ahead and pray for Len and turn it over to him. Father God, Lord, thank you um, just for this morning. Thank you for the folks that are here. And um, I pray right now, Lord, just as, as we turn our attention towards your word, Lord, I pray that you would speak through this brother. Lord, I pray that you would, um, your spirit would be here and your spirit would work and would move and would speak through Len. Lord, I pray that uh, just for the folks in this room right now, as we sit under this teaching, I pray that you would guide us into more truth, Father. Your spirit would nudge us so that we know exactly as we leave here this morning um, what it is you would have us to do with this. Lord, we, we, we offer this time to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. So my name is Len, like uh, Doug said, and I'm one of the elders here, and I got the privilege to give a message from God's Word, and that really is great privilege. As Doug mentioned, we're going to have a variety of speakers. It's kind of like the weather in Iowa. You know, wait a week and it'll change. So if you don't like my sermon, come next week and it'll be a different speaker. Okay. Now, so turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 verse 28. I'll be reading through chapter 3 verse 10. 1 John chapter 2 28 through 3 verse 10. This passage was difficult for me because of an interpretational issue in the passage. 
but more so because of my struggle with habitual sin. I've struggled with addictions. I've struggled with, with uh, wondering, God, how can I be saved if I keep doing this again and again? Or how can you use me, God, because I keep on sinning? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're in that same boat. So I think this passage, while it's a difficult passage, has some really good things to say for us. So the context of the letter is this. This, uh, John's writing about 2,000 years ago, and he's writing his first letter to his network of churches at the beginning of the church age because false teachers are derailing Christians with false doctrine about who Jesus is, about sin, saying things like, it's okay to sin. Uh, and, And it was confusing the church, and people were leaving the church. So as he exhorts the church, he's exhorting them to remain in the teachings and in the obedience that the teachings call for and in the love that the teachings call for. That's a whole part about what it means to be in Christ. And his style is to use stark language, big contrast, and he does that in this passage, I think, as he exhorts the church. So listen as I read, listen for what he wants the churches to do, and then listen for why he wants the churches to do that. And then as you get to the second part of the passage, look for uh, a difference in translation. Your translation may say something different than mine. And I've used the one I've chosen as for a purpose. So here's the passage. So now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. By the way, I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Chapter 3, look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is breaking the law. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sin, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Little children, do not be de- do n- let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin, because his seed remains in him, and he is not able to sin. Because he has been born of God, this is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Let's pray. Father, you reminded me this week of the wonder of what we are doing now. 
we have the opportunity to hear from you, the creator of the universe who is holy yet loving. Oh, Father, enable me to speak accurately and clearly. Enable us to respond to your word in a way that honors you. Amen. So when I was asked to speak, I was not at the top of the list of the candidates. Uh, Doug, the best preacher, he first of all asked the most animated speaker, and Doug Cloven couldn't make it. Then he asked the funniest speaker, and Jeremy Pritchard couldn't make it. And then he asked the most handsome speaker, and well, I just couldn't refuse. So. Uh, I've been dying to use that joke for 40 years. So. Uh, now, you may not believe it, but some people do think I'm handsome. I asked my wife yesterday, and she said yes with qualifications. <laughs> but my mom definitely thinks I'm handsome. She said, she says, tells me now that I, I look more and more like my dad all the time. I don't know whether she means I'm just getting older or whether I think she means I'm handsome like he was. But the idea of looking like my father is, is, is just, it's, uh, this, this idea of family resemblance is at the heart of this passage. Namely, that our actions will point to our parent. So let's take a look at what he says here. Oh, oh a little more introduction. So we receive many things from our parents. Uh, we get an education by some of the things they say. Remember some of those cute things they said? We learn logic when they say, because I said so, that's why. And we learned how to become an adult when they said, if you don't eat your vegetables, you'll never grow up. Or we learn time travel when our dad said, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. Or osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your food. <laughs> or genetics, when mom says, you, just look, you look just like your father. You're just like your father. So we learn things from our parents. We inherit our parents' DNA. We look like them in some ways. And we inherit their culture. We learn their culture, their mannerisms, their colloquialisms. Consequently, to some degree, it's inevitable that we look like our parents. That's true also in the spiritual realm. So the point of the message is this. We need to be a chip off the old block. In other words, God's children will act like their father. So if you got an outline, if you don't, my basic outline is this. There's, first of all, a what. We should remain faithful to Jesus. And then there's the why. Why should we remain faithful? Three things. The greatest family reunion ever the Father's love, and the incompatibility of sin. So let's take a look at the passage. So what should we do? John tells, us, tells them and us to stay faithful to Christ. He says this, So now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. But what does remain in him mean in the context? Remember the setting? John's dealing with false teachers who are saying, Jesus is not fully human. Sin is not important. You can sin all you want. And in verse 24, just before this, he says this, let what you have heard from the beginning abide or remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides or remains in you, 
then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. So his exhortation seems to be this. Remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. Remain faithful to the doctrines, to the traditions, to the teaching, to the right beliefs. Remain faithful to the obedience that these teachings teach. Remain faithful to love that the teachings teach. That message is the same message for us. So the question is then why? Why should we remain faithful to Christ in the midst of a temptation to defect or in the midst of temptation to do the sin that we might love to do or the temptation to just coast in our Christian life? Well, first of all, why remain faithful is because of our coming great family reunion with Jesus. He writes this in, in verse 28. So now little children remain in him so that when he appears we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Pray that it don't knock this over. Okay. So, So he says, Jesus is basically going to come back. So, so how many of you like family reunions? Anybody here like family reunions? Some do. How many of you don't like family reunions? Okay, so there's a mixture. Some do, some don't. But I guarantee you, this is going to be a family reunion that we love. Okay. Everyone's going to love this one. Just think about it. For years, we've, been, we've talked to Jesus through prayer. He's spoken to us through the scriptures. We've come to know him there. We've heard about him, what he's done through church history. We've, heard, we've seen what he's done in our life. We've heard what he's done in the lives of other believers. But we really, in one sense, haven't really been with him. But someday, he's coming back. And when he comes, there's going to be two different responses to that reunion. Those two responses, just like the family reunion, some people are going to love it. Other people are not going to love it. For some, it's going to be a time of great confidence. The word for confidence there has the idea of, of freedom in a relationship, even boldness in the relationship, like in our prayer. So we can come freely to him without burdens, knowing that we're accepted and loved. The other side of the coin, there's the response of shame. Some people are going to experience that. Unbelievers but perhaps even some believers who haven't been walking with the Lord. So if you have a choice between shame or confidence, which one would you rather have? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to have the confidence. So, so how do we have confidence that is coming? John says, by being faithful, by behaving like a child of the king. He writes again, so now little children remain in him so that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him in his coming. Okay. So how do we get the confidence? If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So we have been fathered by God. In, es in essence, we have a new nature. We have our father's DNA in one sense. Consequently, since our Father is perfectly righteous, then the child of God should live right also. 
And when John talks here about right or righteous, he's not talking about that in, in general human terms, like being a nice person. He's talking about what's right according to God's character. So if we're a child of God, we'll show it by acting like our Heavenly Father and living by his rules. Then we will have confidence at the reunion. So why remain faithful? The family reunion. Now, now John has just talked about being fathered or being born by God, and he's just so excited about that that he, he changes gears. He stops his argument and goes into a parenthesis because he just wants to talk about how great the love of God is. And so we go on in that. So why, a second reason to be faithful, because of our Father's love. John writes this. Look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. So because of the Father's love, and what about the Father's love? The Father's love is great. Jesus uses, excuse me, not Jesus, John uses two words that emphasize how great God's love is. First of all, there's the verb look. And we could reach other translation would be behold. It's kind of like an exclamation as well as a command. It would be something like study this, know this, understand it, perceive it, inspect this, examine it, ponder the significance of the love of God. Stop everything else and study this. That's kind of what he's saying. And then he says how great. And that, that, that phrase, the word there is a difficult word. It kind of means from what country. So it's kind of like John is saying, from where did this love come from? This love is alien to us. It's not from our country. And that's what the love of God is like. Well, since the beginning of time, people have written about the love of God. Think about all the Psalms that talk about the love of God. Well, a song that I love, it was written in 1995 by Stuart Townsend, captures the love of God when he writes this, how deep the Father's love for us. Remember that song? How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. That's the love of God. The love of God is great, but it's also creative. God's love did something to us. Our Father's love is adoptive. It adopted us into his family. John writes, look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. We really are his children. And there are lots of scriptures that talk about what that identity is, what it means to be the child of God. Let me just read a couple. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And look, new things have come. We're a new creation. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on our heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We're a new creation. We're God's chosen ones who are now holy. So who is the Christian? One man put it this way. He's, he is God's ultimate spiritual masterpiece. His child, God's new creation, created clean 
as a flawless prism to display the character of God. That's who we are, a child of God. But that child of God, that ID, has an influence in our life. It motivates us. Uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great pastor, preacher from England, wrote this. He said, I do, not feel that this is I do feel that this is perhaps the greatest weakness of all in the Christian church, that we fail to realize who we are. If only we realized who we are, then the problem of conduct would almost automatically be solved. Understanding our identity in Christ, who we are as a child of God, is crucial to how we live. But there's one qualification to this, uh, this contract. It's that, and, and actually, well, well, John writes it here. He says, look, the reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. So the qualification is this, that if we, we grow and live as God's child, we will be misunderstood in the world. As we look more like our father, the world will not, our family, our friends, our neighbors won't understand us because they didn't understand him. So adoption, the love of God. But the love of God is also purifying. Understanding the adoptive love of God will create motive to live a holy life. Again, John wrote, Dear friends, we, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So in the future, it's going to be certain that we will be with God in a new way. As fully adopted children of God, we experience that in part now, but then when he returns, we'll experience our salvation and our adoption in full. And this hope is crucial to the Christian life because it motivates us to hang in there to follow God. What does this hope do? Well, this hope does something like this. One person wrote, this hope shines brightest when the hour is darkest. This hope motivates when everyone is discouraged. This hope believes when evidence is eliminated. This hope endures hardship when no one is caring. That's having the hope of our future. So we have the greatest family reunion, the love of God, adopted into his family. These should motivate us to live godly lives. Now there's one more thing. This is kind of a negative reason. It's because sin is incompatible with God's family. Why is that true? Why is it true that sin is incompatible with the Christian? First of all, and by the way, these, 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 these verses, verses 4 through 9, uh, John does kind of a circular argument. He makes the same argument approximately twice, but with slightly different details. So we're just going to jump around and kind of trying to put it all together. So, so why is sin incompatible with the believer? First of all, the nature of sin makes it incompatible with a Christian. Paul, uh, John writes, everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is the breaking of law. And then he writes later, the one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil is sin from the beginning. So why is sin incompatible with the believer? First of all, sin is lawlessness. And the idea behind that is a settled attitude of defiance of God's standard and his right to rule. And if one, if one has that settled 
settled stance, you can't really be a believer. You can't be a follower with that. So sin is lawlessness, but sin is also of the devil. Ultimately, our sin comes from him because he is the one who started it all way back when. Okay. So, so why is sin incompatible? Because, first of all, well, because of this lawlessness and it's from the devil. So another reason why sin is incompatible is, is that the work of Christ against sin makes sin incompatible with a Christian. Uh, John writes, you know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins. And he writes later in, in verse 8, the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. So what's his work? Remove the burden of sin and take away, destroy the work of the devil. The, the verb for removing there, the burden, is, is a picture of cutting a bond. You can think about the burden and weight of sin that, that, that captures us. It reminds me of the, of the movie The Mission. Early in that, in that movie, Mendoza, the central figure, is a slave trader. But after, he's killed, after he kills his brother in a flash of anger, he yearns for redemption. And he gets it from the missionaries who assign him an agonizing penance. To reach the Indian village that they're going to, they must climb a vertical cliff right next to uh, a, a waterfall. And so Albert Mendoza must do so, dragging behind him a net filled with all of his armor as a soldier. And so you see him as, as, he, as he scales this dangerous height only to slip back and fall back, almost losing his life. It happens again and again until finally his mentor cuts the bonds, and the weight of his sin symbolically falls away. He weeps with the relief of forgiveness and the joy of acceptance. That's what Jesus does to sin. So his point here, John's point is, is this. How can we be involved in sin if our Savior has given so much to destroy it? So the nature of sin the work of Christ both makes sin incompatible for a believer. But there's one more. The nature of a Christian makes sin incompatible. And basically, well, I'll just do this very quickly. In, in verse 9, John writes, everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He's not able to sin because he's born of God. He basically says two things there about why a Christian uh, does, doesn't sin because we've been born of God we've got a new nature and because God's spirit lives in us okay. so as a conclusion as we put these verses together the nature of sin the work of Christ and the nature of a Christian makes sin incompatible with a Christian but what do those verses mean the text seems to read it seems to say that a child of God doesn't sin and that the one who sins is a child of the devil. So how, how do we, do you sin? Okay. Do I sin? So does that mean none of, us are, none of us are child of God, children of God? Uh, are red flags going on in your mind about this? You might be thinking, wait a minute, back the interpretational truck up here. There's a problem here. If we were playing football, the ref would be throwing flags here. He'd be saying, illegal proceeding. No, he'd be saying, uh, what's it? Um, 
personal foul. That's it, personal foul, uh, roughing the Christian. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, so let's try to get a handle on this. So, so let's take a quick, quick look at the problem here. And uh, so, so first of all, consider reality. We do sin. Every one of us sin. It's a habitual part of my life. Okay. So, does that mean we're not believers? Well, John agrees that we do sin. The first chapter, he talks about forgiveness. So John is not saying that if you sin, you're not a believer because he accepts that. He teaches that, that there's forgiveness available when we sin. So that's not what he's saying here. Then we need to understand the, the basic interpretational problem, and that problem is this, that the present tense verb to sin can be taken and translated different ways. Now, it's, it's either you take it as a habitual kind of a continual thing, or you take it as an absolute. And the habitual idea is translated in the ESV or the NIV. The idea is that if a Christian continues in sin, or a Christian doesn't continue in sin, and the idea behind that is, is that a, a, a Christian cannot keep on sinning without being bothered by his sin. He can't keep on sinning without looking for repentance or seeking forgiveness. He can't keep on sinning with no regard for a relationship with God. If, if that's the way he is, then there's no evidence of conversion. There's no evidence of a new nature. There's no evidence of the work of the Spirit. So that's one way, that's probably the most popular way to take it, like the ESV. Uh, John MacArthur, Crawford, Lewis, other people take it that way. It's the, probably the most common way to take it. But it, it, and it fits what John is teaching. But it may not necessarily be the right way to translate it. The other way to translate it is the way I did in the Holman Christian Standard, which is the Christian does not sin. And if you do sin, you're of the devil. So, okay, so how do we put that together with the John, John, John said that we, we, we do sin? So the, the, the way to put it together is this. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's, there's probably about 10 different ways people have come up with to put it together, but let me just share a couple. One is, is that since John, his style is to speak in stark contrast, he could be speaking hi hyperbolically, hyperbole. It's kind of, he's kind of like being a coach. A, a team, he's, and it's the halftime, the team is behind, and the coach says, we don't lose. I mean, they never lose. That's, that's not right. But he's trying to stress the point. And stressing the point, it's, it's, it becomes an encouragement to get in there and fight. And that kind of be, could, could be what, what John is doing here, saying, we're, we're new. Well, Bill Mounts, an uh, interpreter or translator, a Greek professor, said this. John was writing as people who believe it was okay for followers of Jesus to live in ongoing sin. As their apostle, as their coach, their spiritual parent, John takes a deep breath and he proclaims, for all unto here, we don't sin. It's not in our character to walk in darkness. We've been made better than that by Christ. Now, he's not saying that we don't sin, but he's in there encouraging them. Look at who we are now. We should be different. That's one way to take it. Another way is, is that John might have been speaking of our new nature. As a, we are, when God formed us re, uh, and renewed us, we have a new nature, which he says is holy. Now, that new nature doesn't sin. Our, we have our flesh, 
and maybe some people call it an old nature that's involved with this, but he could be saying that, look, you're a new nature, you're holy, we don't sin. That could be another way to take it. Or another a final way would be, he's speaking of when Christians are in the zone, and you know what the zone is? If we're, if we're perfectly abiding in Christ, if we were perfectly walking by the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't sin. But how many of us are there? How, or for how long are we there? So we still sin. So there's different ways you can take that idea we don't sin and still fit it with the idea that we do sin. Okay? The big point is this. The main point is sin is incompatible with us as a Christian. So we ought not to sin, is what he's saying. Sin is not normal for a child of God. It's against our nature. Christ has made us better. So in closing, let me, let me put it together this way. If we're children of God, we should act like our father. We should be a chip off of the old block. And to do so, we need to do some things like this. Remain faithful to the truth. We need to strive for holiness. We need to love the Lord's return. We need to marvel at the love of God, the love of our Father. And we need to hate sin. If we see these things in our life, if we see those attitudes in our life, then we can have great confidence when we're before the Lord. Okay. But what about us who struggle with a stronghold of sin? What about us who have an addiction? What about us who we're just battling and, and we, we get into a sin and it's like God disappears for a while? What do we do? Well, one thing I really want you to remember is that no matter what, forgiveness and redemption is always available. But Crawford Loritz, he, he listed off a bunch of things uh, in one of his sermons about this particular passage. Here's some things, if you're struggling with sin, here's some things to think about. One, we recognize that sin is serious. It's of the devil. Two, Face the truth that is our responsibility. Three, embrace helplessness. Proud people will never overcome sin. Four, get out of the closet, okay? Sin flourishes in the dark. And the only way for us as a family to help is if we know what's going on. Five, see the sufficiency of Christ. He can break the bonds of guilt. He can loose us from the bondage to sin, whatever it is. Surrender to God's grace for this particular day, not for tomorrow, but for this day and get into work on this day alone. Submit to the accountability of godly mentors. Enlist some prayer warriors because this is a spiritual battle. Saturate your mind with God's truth and then surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. But a third application is, is this. When it comes to remaining faithful, to act like God's child, I fear my deepest problem, and maybe our problem, is the problem of complacency or just coasting in the Christian life. At times, I find myself thinking like this or acting like this. I don't live as if Jesus is really coming back. I don't live as if God is really my father. 
I don't live as if sin is really serious. Maybe you're there. We all are there at times. And this kind of complacency is extremely dangerous for some who think they are Christian when they're not. But it's also a key reason why the church does not have more impact in our culture. Let me close in a couple of quotes by Tony Evans. He writes this about how we can impact our culture. He says, if America is going to rebuild itself morally, socially, and spiritually, it is going to have to begin by fortifying the foundation. But how does America do that? Through each one of us functioning as citizens of God's kingdom. God's kingdom agenda is to bring to earth the visible manifestation of his comprehensive rule over every area of life, to bring heaven's viewpoint to a hellish society. The church exists to advance that kingdom by bringing God's kingdom answers to our troubled society. But why is God's kingdom rule not more evident? Why is it that, that um, we have a church on every corner but chaos in every street? Why is that? Well, the problem, again, is the church is not living as a child of God, not living as part of the kingdom. So he says, each member of the body of Christ, as well as the collective church, all the churches, must begin reflecting at a higher level the foundational values of the kingdom of God. In other words, we've got to act like a child of the king. God's kingdom is not black. God's kingdom is not white. God's kingdom is not Hispanic, Asian, Middle Eastern, or Indian. God did not come to take sides. God came to take over. And until we bow beneath the overarching rules that, set for, that he sets forth, we will continue to live defeated lives in the face of walls too thick to crumble and an enemy looming too large for us to overcome. The solution is to become citizen or kingdom citizens, a follower of Christ who consistently applies the principles of heaven to the concerns of culture. And the only way we can do that is if we look more like our Father. Let's pray. Father, you've made us new. You've adopted us as your children. And we confess, Father, that so often we don't look like it. So we pray that by the power of your spirit and the truth of your word that you will enable us to honor you, our Father, by acting more like you. You deserve it. We owe it to you. In Jesus' name, amen.